Hi guys, you're listening to the It Starts With Action podcast. I am your host, Presence, and today this episode is more focused on year 12s, year 13, because results day is around the corner. Year 12s, you're probably applying to university, maybe considering Oxbridge. And so I thought it would be super cool to ask my mentor, Cam Taj, to come on the podcast and share his story because not only was his journey quite a roller coaster, his journey also showed that sometimes Oxbridge isn't for everyone and that's okay. We talked about so many topics from results day, happiness, sleep, nature, walk, meditation, taking action, resilience, so many different topics that I think year 13s, year 12s, university students should all listen to. So yeah, let's just get into it first time using a mic so I don't know how it's going to turn out but I'm so excited anyway so today I have Cam Taj with me who we met I met Cam Taj in uni admissions event in year 12 and since then I've been very interested in what Cam does and he's now my mentor very grateful for that so I have huge respect for Cam Taj um, and Cam is a performance coach inspirational speaker author and has courses on productivity founder of Exam Success Academy. I think this is a great time to talk to Cam about his experience because right now it's nearly August. Um, year 12s are probably stressing about universities. Like I had my eyes on Oxbridge um, and it's all I wanted really. Um, I got rejected at the end, um, very unhappy about it, sad, but like now I realise it's it's fine. Um, and so I think this episode will be great for people who want to hear Cam's story of how how it was like in Cambridge um, and also how he went from doing engineering to now being a coach Um, so yeah thank you so much for coming on Cam. Thank you so much for the introduction it is such a pleasure to be here it's such an awesome podcast that we've kind of that you've created I mean I'm Mm -hmm. very honoured to be a guest on it and from my side yeah, I get a chance to mentor you, man. That is like, you're like the dream mentee to have. But I don't even think of it like oh, that. Selecting it was like, you know, who do I, who do I want to get be close friends with? Who do I want to kind of like be invested in their journey and their success as well, just as I had others who were invested in mine. So from my side of things, like, don't be silly. It's, it's my pleasure. It's such a blessing for me. Yeah. Um, yeah so could you share a bit about like how, because I know that your journey to, Cambridge was not a smooth ride and you had to, <laughs> had to work a lot so could you maybe share that yeah. yeah for sure so um I guess this kind of delves a little bit into my background right so from my side of things I was I was at a school called QE Boys in North London so it's a grammar school state grammar school um I felt super lucky to go there because the quality of education is incredible there they get quite like a good number of kids into Oxbridge each year um I did not think I was going to be one of them. In fact, being super honest with you guys, when I was in year 11 and I was doing my GCSEs, um, I was very out of love with academics at that stage already. So for me, the thing I loved the most was sports. It was all about like tennis and basketball for me. That was all I wanted to do. Um, I used to get anxiety attacks on Sunday nights because of school the next day. And the one thing that made me go was basketball training in the morning on the Monday. That was what got me to school. And so I realized quite early on that there are some things in life which um, I'm I'm naturally like quite okay at. Like with exams and stuff, I figured out how to make them work. I wasn't too afraid to fail in them. So I kind of learned quite well and was able to adjust. 
But when it came to sports, I was not naturally gifted at all. And I kind of realized that there are some things in life which you which you really suck at, but you still love. Yeah. And there are some things that you're pretty good at, but you just think, I just don't want to be doing this. Yeah. Um, and with academics in GCSEs, I kind of got away with that because with GCSEs, I did consistent work. Like I did consistent work throughout. Um, the school were pretty on top of you in terms of as long as you're really paying attention in class, um, being proactive about your homework and stuff, like you'd be on track to do all right. And for me, it seemed natural to stay on track. I had a contract with my parents whereby as long as my grades and reports were good, I could do as much sport as I wanted. So I was very motivated to do that. Um, so action was being taken on, on all fronts and I ended up doing pretty well in my GCSEs. Um, we had just A stars and A's and stuff back then. We didn't have the eights and nines. If it was translated to what it is now, I'd have had mostly eights, I think. So not not nines, um, but it's the A star grades. At the time, it looked quite nice on the sheet to see the A stars. Yep. Uh, but I wasn't like, let's be I wasn't the smartest kid in the school. Um, but I was doing all right. Like I was on track to do well. And it was, I think, just before kind of year 12 and everything, um, you know, I was going into year 12. I still hadn't fully selected my subjects. And I went to see like the head of year, like, listen, I don't know what to choose because my grades are like, they're all the same. So I don't really know what to choose from. And they're like, what do you want to do? I said, I have no idea. Like, guess I want to be quite wealthy in the future if I can be um they're like yeah but what subjects are you going to do I'm like I don't know um and I was like you know maybe like maths um chemistry I really liked maybe like English maybe French maybe biology like I don't know he was like right well it says over here you've got this recommendation for further maths like the schools actually said you should do further maths and they don't let many students do that so you should take that and I was like okay and they were like yeah, and if you take those subjects, you might as well take another science subject so you can go and do engineering or something. I was like, okay, physics, go and do physics. I was like, okay, <laughs> would that work for you? And I was like, all right, fine. And he threw a prospectus at me um, for Cambridge. And I said, could you give you the nothing one instead? He was like, no, just take a look at this one. What courses can you do with those four subjects? So just kind of scrolling through it. And I saw this course which said chemical engineering. And I was like, oh, that has the word chemistry in it, kind of like chemicals. I was like, that, that sounds good. I can do that. And it says engineering, which seems to be a profession where you can do all right in. So let's do that. What are the subjects it needs? Maths, physics, chemistry, further maths recommended. Done. That was all mm. it took to make that decision. Um, I didn't think about it anywhere near as much as I wish I'd have done. Um, that year in year 12 was a step up from GCSEs, as I'm sure in year 12 hearing this will know. Like, it was a step up, right? Like, do you mm. remember it yourself? Like... For me, I think year 13 was so much mm. harder than year 12. You know? Interesting, yeah. yeah. For me, the jump to year 12 was just like, oh my God, I actually got to like understand things right now. I can't just memorize them and get away with it. Um, but yeah, on my journey, the year 12 year was all right because we did the whole of maths A level in one year and then chemistry and physics. I was doing okay at physics. I was struggling with more than the others, but um, I was doing all right. And then I go away in that summer and. Um, come back to school year 13, send off my application to personal statements. The school were like, look, you really should apply to Cambridge with your grades and your AS, because we had AS back then, they were pretty strong. So like, go, go apply for Cambridge. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it. Fine. You convinced me, I'll, I'll apply for it. I applied not really thinking too much of it. I got an interview, went to my interview. That's a whole story in itself. Thought I'd completely messed it up. Um, December time, we had these mocks in school. At this point now, I was doing further maths, really struggling with further maths. 
didn't get on with one of my teachers at all, who I had every single day of the week, which is never <laughs> a good sign for a subject which is struggling with either. Yeah. Um, the others were going okay. Physics was still a bit sucky, but but um, chemistry was going well. Did, did my did these little mocks in December. Didn't think too much of it. Went back over over Christmas, and I had January module exams because again we had modules back in the time. We were so privileged; like it was, you could mess up and just have chances to succeed after that. So we yeah. were definitely lucky with that. Like, um, I, I, I actually wouldn't have gotten into Cambridge if it wasn't for the fact I'd retaken some modules. Like, I'm super open about that. I did not get it first time. Um, and so, yeah, go away over Christmas, revise a little bit, but not too much. Had some exams coming around mid to end January and come back to school, third of January. And they give me this like little test back from the third of maths I'd done. And I'd gotten 28%, which is like below a fail. It's, it's pretty, pretty horrific. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, I think it's time to drop further maths. I think our time has come to an end. I, th I think we've reached an impasse here. I don't think it's going to work out between us. So I'm very, very, you know, like, yeah, going to get rid of further maths. This is over. Three days later, January the 6th, I get a letter in the post. And it's from Cambridge University. And I come home, my mum's there. She's like holding this out. Like, do you want to open it? I'm like, well, I can't leave it closed for the rest of my life. Yeah, right, fine. <laughs> And it was, I realized it was quite thick, like the piece of paper they said, it was uh, very thick, right? So I was like, okay, this is, this is a good sign. So I open it and sure enough, it's like, congratulations, um, you received an offer. I still have that sheet somewhere filed away. Like it was a lovely moment. And I remember like, I'm like dancing around the living room. My mom's dancing around the living room. We're calling my dad, like, oh God, I got a Cambridge offer. Like, we're just going crazy. We're absolutely loving this moment. And about half an hour later, I decided to actually take a look at this sheet in a bit more detail. I noticed the offer and it says A star AA for A star further math specified. Ouch. And my heart just dropped. Because Cambridge mm. has seen that in maths A level, I'd gone, a I've gone, I'd gone an A star in my maths A level in that year, but it was a low A star. So in my C4, I'd actually gone below 90 and my C3 grade had pulled me up. This is the exams mm -hmm. we had for that one at the yeah. time. And so they'd given me a deliberately hard offer so that, like, I had to show that my mathematical prowess was going to be good enough, basically. So they basically yeah. asked me two A stars and two A's, um, which I think in general actually is slightly less than what they, they asked for now. I think they are normally asked for three A stars now to an extent, like for chemical engineering. Two A stars mm -hmm. or three A stars, depending on your interview. So if they have mm -hmm. that and also your admissions exams, right? So you know you have, like, the... Cambridge engineering exam, Cambridge economics exam that you go and sit yeah. on the, um, the admissions test they have. They now give those a lot of weight. So for any students applying for these courses, like check those out and learn about them because especially now that you guys don't have ASs as indicators and predictive grades are really inaccurate, actually, which I know a lot of students are suffering with at the moment because your results are based on those. <laughs> but just know that even if you didn't do so well in your predictive grades in like year 12 kind of thing, if you go and you get that interview, uh, if you go and like do the admissions exams and you really do well in them, it will count a lot in your favor. Oh, so especially for, especially for engineering and sciences, like it really, they do take that into account quite a lot. So um, yeah, at the time, and at the time, if you're wondering, I applied for chemical engineering via natural sciences in my first year instead of via engineering because it didn't have an admissions exam. That was my only decision making factor as to why I chose natural sciences because I was like, I don't feel confident in maths. I'm just going to do whatever I can to avoid an entrance exam. Um, and so for me, yeah, like I was at this kind of place. I'd seen this offer sheet, A star further maths. I was just about mm -hmm. to drop the subject. 
And in eight days' time on January the 14th was my first exam. It was a statistics-based exam that was actually going to count towards the A-star grade. I had eight days. Thankfully, oh I hadn't got 28% in that one. I hadn't got 28% mm -hmm. in that one. I was on like 65%. Um, still pretty bad. I had to go from 65 to 90 plus in eight days. Yes. Um, yeah, it was... It felt a bit daunting. And I'll be really honest, like the 10th of January is my birthday as well. So my 18th birthday was in four days time as well. So um, I was really at this stage where I was like, hmm, you know what? Maybe this just isn't worth it. Like this seems pretty impossible. Why don't I just forget this? I've got an offer from Imperial College. They're awesome. I've got an offer from Loughborough. I really, really like Loughborough. Like they're a great sports university. I, I really had a good feel for it. I was like, you know, I've got these already. Forget Cambridge, right? Like, it makes sense. Forget Cambridge. Imperial's good enough. Loughborough's good enough. Um, I can relax. I can drop further maths, have three subjects that I kind of get on with, enjoy my last year, play more sports, um, enjoy my 18th birthday, and not stress too much. And I was really tempted by that. But then I kind of, like, I just had this moment where, and this is random story but like I remember this year before in the summer of my before I went to year 12 I met this girl and she was like my first like super super real crush <laughs> mm -hmm. and I had a crush on her and I was just thinking like of her in that yeah. moment because yeah. in that moment when you have a crush you just can't think of anything else <laughs> exactly I was so consumed by that crush right but I was too afraid to tell her because she was yeah. out of my league and I was so afraid of being rejected by her and so what I did at the time, right, this was like, it had gone on from like a month and a half and I was like two months or so, I was back at school and I just couldn't focus on my sports, my academics, anything, because I was thinking about her. Mm. Um, and I was thinking a lot of just how much of a coward I felt like, because I just didn't have the courage to tell her how I felt, you know? So I, I did what like, you know, I went to an all boys school as well, right? I did what all guys do when confronted with a problem they don't know how to solve. I literally Googled, how do I tell a girl I like her? <laughs> and... I, I'm not lying to you. Google, in its infinite wisdom, came back with this quote that said, it is better to know and be disappointed than to not know and always wonder by Oscar Wilde. Mm. I remember seeing that and going, yes, this is what I need. And, I, and I, I summed this up, it's better to know and be disappointed. And I said, you know what, I'd rather know for sure that she wasn't into me and be disappointed than for the rest of my life to be haunted by these daydreams of what could I have been had I had the courage to tell her. So I told her how I felt. And she rejected me <laughs> brutally. It was it was horrible. Um, she rejected me brutally. Um, and I was like, I was crying. I was in tears on my bed for like mm. a few days. It, it was really painful, right? It's your first crush. It's the person I thought I was going like, to marry and like, you know, for the yeah. rest of my life. You know how it is when you're like 16, 17 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I was, I was there like just in tears about this. And um, I noticed something, right, which was just, the pain did start to go away a little bit. And I could feel this pr pride in myself that I'd had the courage to say how I felt. And so now fast forward a year and a bit, and I'm thinking that same thing, like, but maybe it's better to know and be disappointed than to not know and always wonder. And really, <laughs> do I want to leave myself that chance for regret in the future? For me to have said, you know what? To be looking back in like 20 years and going, what could have been? If I'd done my best, maybe I would have been good enough to get into Cambridge. Maybe I could have met that offer. I said that I just didn't want that regret because if I did my best and didn't make it, it'd be so disappointing. But that disappointment would wear off. It's temporary. But that regret at having not even tried, that sticks with you, you know? And you yeah. talk about how it starts with action. It really yeah. does. Because every time we don't take action towards these things, it's like it weakens this muscle we have for taking action. 
and mm. we start to doubt our ability to even follow through with what we set ourselves and it almost becomes and we lose confidence in ourselves and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy it becomes this loop you get into and the antidote to it is to start taking action again right it starts with making our behavior again there's a beautiful quote by um this podcast that i listen to called rich roll um i think he's he's, he's super awesome second best podcast after yours um okay you know? I'll check out. <laughs> it, it's 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 really cool and he says mood follows action you know mm, you ooh, yeah yeah i love that right it's like for a lot of us we're like yeah you know when mm. i feel good then i'll do it yeah he says, no mood follows action do it and then feel good as a result of you doing it mm. and that's something i find so interesting and it's like from a psychological perspective as well we can get to that but just to kind of round off the story because i've been going on for a little while now i was like you know what it's A-level time. I would rather look back at this year and on results day not get that result for Cambridge and be so disappointed and probably find myself on my bed in tears again because I put a lot of energy into it. The tears are going to flow. I invested myself into it. I'm proud of that. The tears will flow if I don't get it. But also know that, you know what? I'm going to trust as well that Cambridge kind of know what they're talking about with this. And if the place really isn't right for me, then it's not my path. And my success lies elsewhere. My journey lies elsewhere. I'd rather do that than to just not know and always wonder what could have been and feel that muscle for following through getting weaker. So, um, yeah, I, I decided I'm going to commit to that. Um, eight days of, of hard revision for that test. I ended up having a really good day. It was a hard test. I made no silly mistakes. That one went well, the statistics test. A week later, I had two weeks later, I had my mechanics test, which was also counting. That one did not go as well. I got an 80 in that one, 100 in the statistics one for UMS. The balance was 90. So I'm on track for my weakest subjects for the pure modules. So I was like, hmm, I might have to retake that mechanics one. And basically, in that next few months, I tried to keep up with school and stuff. I was so behind with maths, that I, in the maths pure subjects, that I was really falling behind. And so when it came to like Easter break and study leave, Easter break, I spent a lot of it doing chemistry preparation. I think I was really afraid to do maths. And before we went away for study leave, our teacher in maths, she gave us like worksheets for every single topic we had to cover. And I think when she gave it to me, I was the last person that she expected to do this stuff. But at this point, I made this promise to myself that, look, I've got about a month before the, my first real exam on this. I'm going to do every single question and worksheet and past paper I can find on this. I'm going to give myself the best chance possible. And I actually have like a little study planner that I actually made from my levels. I still got it saved on my computer. And literally my entire study leave was just spent on further maths. Not a great strategy if physics and chemistry are also important, but for me, like 80-20 rule, right? Um, if my entire offer is predicated on this A-star and further maths, it makes sense for 80% of my resources to go to that, and then the rest goes to what's less important. This was me, like, before lockdown. Yeah. It never happened, huh? Never happened. Like, no, I'm just like, the mad thing is, like, no one could see the time between the last mock and, like, between exams got cancelled. Like, I know that people, mm. including me, worked extra hard for that but I worked like so much on maths and further maths during that time hmm. and then it got cancelled so just around just a bad event. anyway yeah sorry really? <laughs> no, I, I, no, I feel for you so much right because if they based my grades on my mocks that I'd had I'd have gotten like an E in further maths you know yeah. um, and that's so what I'm gonna get I, I don't know honestly do you feel like do you feel like a bit cheated of the chance to like done these exams like what do you mean by cheat um like do you think i, I do i feel like i cheated 
No, no, no. I mean, like, I've, I've, there are two kind of groups of students that I tend to speak to. Some of them are like really relieved they don't have to do exams. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? Anything's better than having to do exams. But then there's other people who feel cheated of like their hard work they've put in mm. over these years. Especially like, you know, the chance, che- they feel cheated of the chance to show up and show yeah. like just how good they are, you know? I'm in the middle so I'm very happy for economics and math because I worked really hard throughout the year for those two subjects so I kind of have an idea of what I'm going to like where I'm going to but like for the uni I want to go to I have to get an ASAR in maths um, and I've been flopped I like flopped further maths throughout the year and so I've worked really hard on maths and further maths and so they like I really wanted to show off that I could I could do it um, so I'm quite mad for that part that I don't get to sit that exam because mm. now I'm like really uncertain what's going to happen um, so yeah I'm a mix <laughs> yeah and do you feel like next year it's a genuine option for you to like take a gap yeah, and redo your exams um like I think before I would I mean depend I feel like I would get into my second choice and after like this COVID situation I realized it's not the end of the world if I don't get into the exact uni I want to and yeah. I shouldn't stop poor like pause life just to get to that uni um unless I have to but um unless I don't get into both but I feel like yeah wherever I end up I was like meant to be this kind of thing now there's a beautiful quote right um yeah. I have faith that what missed me was never meant for me and that what's meant for me will never miss me mm. uh, in Farsi so I'm Iranian by background and we have this saying as man had a cat as khoda bad a cat which literally <laughs> means from me movement action and from God or the universe or whatever you believe in, their bounty, you know, they, they place us on the right path. As long as we're taking action and we're making moves, we're going to be put on the right path for us, even if at the time it doesn't feel that. Um, a lot of these sentiments are very beautiful. Um, the quote I just said, by the way, before that um, in English is not my own. Um, that is by someone whose name in this moment I can't remember. Um, I'm so bad at remembering quotes like yeah who, I just want to that. who not, wrote that quote yeah like, I always want to like give credit where it's due right yeah because, like, you don't want to take it on um I've got it written somewhere it might be Abu Ibn al-Talib or it might be Imam al-Shafi but it's like a Muslim scholar I think who said that original quote um but yeah oh finishing off that kind of story with the A-level yeah. stuff I, I was lucky, right I had the chance to still do these exams yeah and I remember like I did those worksheets and I actually got in touch with that teacher who I hated and we did not get along well with. This was the kind of teacher who I was getting kicked out of class, um, I would say, once every few weeks because I'd either shop late because I'd had sport practice or I'd be I'd, I'd have done sport over lunch and I'd be eating like in lessons because I was so hungry and I'd get kicked out all the time. And like she wasn't a big fan of me. And I actually went to her I, and I emailed and I apologized to her. I apologized to her for everything. I really sucked up my pride and said, look, I've been acting out this year a little bit. I feel really afraid about the future. I feel like kind of lost with this. I've actually done every worksheet you've given me, every single one of them, but there's no solutions here. Like there's no solution bank or like explanation about it. Can we please run through them together? And I'm so grateful, both her and my other teacher who was a gem. He was, his name was Mr. Price. And he is like still to this day, the best teacher I've ever had. Like genuinely, if it wasn't for that man, I wouldn't even been taking further maths in the first place. And I wouldn't even have this opportunity. Um, they both sat with me, gave up two hours of their time each, like just randomly, just for me, free of charge, everything, just to go through these questions with me. And it was it was so, so helpful. Um, and I went into those exams 
physics I kind of salvaged as best I could. Chemistry I was on top of and I was fine with. And with the further maths exams, I gave my best. And I remember coming out of like my FP2, my FP3 exam. FP2, I felt like, okay, that one is not going to be above 90, but I have hope that it maybe got the 80 marker. FP3, further maths three, I came out like there is no way. There is no way I, I came anywhere close to it. So it, it relies on my other exams to pull me up. Here's the thing though. I'd done everything I could. I'd literally done said I'd done my best. And for me, my best is simple. It means that I've done everything I can in terms of the actions I can take without compromising my mental health and my physical well-being. That is a huge, huge caveat in there for me. Like nothing is worth my health and well-being. Nothing is worth that. And when it came to results day, I'll be honest with you, I wasn't even nervous. I wasn't even nervous. I had no nerves because I just knew like, there's nothing more I could have done. I genuinely feel peaceful in myself. Like there's nothing more I, I was willing to do, nor could I have done. And when it came to the results itself, um, I did not want to go into school until I to get the results until I'd gotten it online from UCAS. And um, I, I woke up and I checked it a bunch of times and refreshed it. And uh, yeah, I'd found out that I'd met my offer. I went to school and got my sheet back and found out, whoa, I scraped that offer. Um, <laughs> Because uh, my my third maths three grade was a low B, seventy three. It was a low B. Um, my third maths two was an eighty five, a mid A, and in my mechanics retake, I jumped from eighty to one hundred. So um, yeah, it was it was a cool journey. And you'd think after that, right after that experience of you know um you know rather failing and I'd rather like you know try and be disappointed than to than to not know and always wonder. You'd have thought that I'd gone to Cambridge with that same attitude. But yeah, is, is different I did story. Not, I did not. I did not. I completely kind of like went in there with the wrong attitude. Um, you know about like the fixed and growth mindset, right? Like yeah. the idea. Yeah, it's such a cool concept because a lot of us, I think, have we we. It's not linear with growth and fixed mindsets. You can have a growth mindset in one area of your life yeah. and a fixed in another. Right? Yeah. You can have growth with, resp with respect to like your career and your work, but a very fixed one with respect to like your relationships. Yeah. You can have a growth with respect to your health, but a fixed with relation to academics. Yeah. And one thing that I kind of realized was that I went to Cambridge and I was thinking to myself, I was doing natural sciences that year. And I was just like, I'm not smart anymore. My mm. identity, I can't think of myself as a smart person anymore. I'm going to be like a great athlete here because like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone here is a nerd. And like, I'm going to be great at sports. Not true at all. It turns out people who are driven enough to work to get to Cambridge also have that same drive in every part of their life. And they're That's incredible true. athletes and everything. Very humbling. Yeah. Very, very humbling to go there. So what I realized there was that that year, I set myself one positive thing, which was very, very low expectations. But the, the reason for setting low expectations was not good. It wasn't saying to myself, look, I don't know what I'm going to get. So I'm going to give my best and learn from that. That's a good way of setting low expectations in terms of outcomes. It's saying I'm going to work as hard as I can, but I don't expect or need an outcome to validate my hard work. What I said was the opposite. I said, I'm going to set low expectations. The real reason, because I'm way too afraid to try my best and fail and find out that, you know what? I'm an, I don't belong here. I was an mm. imposter. I, I got lucky. I scraped further maths to get in. Mm. I was meeting there in my course who further maths for them was like, yeah, 95 all around at least. You know, yeah. there were more people I met who got four A stars than one A star in Cambridge, you know. Um, so it was really humbling to kind of go there and see that. And I remember just saying to myself, you know what, 
this year I'm kind of tired of academics as well let's just go and do other things let's go and like have a life let's go and do my sport um I met a girl and had my first relationship when I was like in that first year within a few weeks and like and so I was like there's so many other parts of life but really with the work ethic side it was just this fear that maybe my best is not going to even be good enough to cut it and mm. so because of that you can't get away with coasting in natural sciences in Cambridge it requires 26 to 28 hours of contact hours a week if you're doing the options I took which was physics chemistry and material science and first year natural sciences is the equivalent of doing like three quarters of a first year degree for each of the four subjects you're doing like in it so mm. it's chemistry material science and maths I picked so you're doing it, it's one of the hardest courses that, that there are and for me I think what saved me in that period was because of sport I had like a good support system outside of it. And because I didn't give, and I'm going to say it in a dubious way, but I'm going to say I didn't give respect to Cambridge. Mm. Like I didn't let its name intimidate me. You know, there's a really deep story I heard um, from one of my peers who was actually doing natural sciences at my college, Churchill College as well. And we got in touch after we graduated because he was like, he saw what I was doing. He wanted to share his story of Cambridge. And he said, from the very first day I went there, I remember we had that speech by our senior tutor who said, you, so I'm like, you owe it to yourselves, you owe it to your families, and you owe it to Cambridge to do the absolute best you can, you know? Mm -hmm. And he heard these words and was like, wow, there's so much weight here. Like, I've got I've to gotta, I've gotta match up these expectations. Now, me, I was sitting there next to this guy I'd met who was from Essex. And I'm I from Essex. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? He was, he was yeah. from Essex, and uh, he'd gone to, like, a state school there. And, and I remember him just looking over to me at that point and saying, mate, we should set off a fire alarm. I was like, why? And he goes, because this man is so dry. <laughs> I remember just laughing. And those words were forgotten as soon as they came in. Part mm. of the reason for that is my upbringing. My dad's philosophy in life has always just been, just do your best. Just, yeah. do your best. just do your best. And I could create stories in my head of, oh, he expected this of me. No, no. I expected those things of myself. Yeah. He's always been, just do your best. Just do your best. You know, I went and had that exam. Did you do your best though? Yeah, I did my best. Good. Learn from it, move on. Always had that attitude. I'm very grateful for that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so Cambridge first year, my biggest fear basically was that my identity as a smart kid was going to be invalidated. I'm going to be proved not smart anymore. I've gone from being this small, uh, this big fish in a fairly small pond. Yeah. Suddenly this tiny little fish in a gigantic pond of intellectual behemoths. And I felt like just... I can't match up to that. There's no way I can ever be there. So why not just like hold back because we give ourselves this excuse of, yeah, but if I'd really done my best, then I would have done well, right? But our mind doesn't believe that because mm -hmm. that yeah, the lowest grade in my entire college, the lowest grade in my entire college um, I got it for, for my course for natural sciences. And I got an email from my director of studies saying like, hey, this, um, this isn't sustainable. I know you've expressed that you've found it tough this year. Like, if you need any support, you've got to let us know. You're moving to chemical engineering next year. Um, but you might really need that support. Um, and for me, that year, I realized, like, I felt terrible when I got those results. I'd scraped it. I, I was fine. I was going to stick around. But I felt terrible. I felt a lot of confidence in myself had gone because I hadn't used my action muscle. I hadn't committed. Mm -hmm. I've been too afraid to try and fail than to figure it out and be disappointed and to try and learn from it. Mm -hmm. And um, I went into my second year, like, this is going to change. I'm not going to let myself be in that same situation as last year. 
The problem was I was going into chemical engineering. And over that first year summer, I'd done my first ever internship at a chemical engineering company. And what it had taught me was that chemical engineering was not for me. <laughs> not right. what you want to find out. Yeah. You, you expect to like, love it, actually. Right? It's not mm. what you want to find out before you go and do your chemical engineering degree at Cambridge. Let's put it that way. Um, so I go into my second year, but I said to myself, look, it doesn't matter. It's a versatile degree. I'd come to Cambridge and everyone's talking about consulting and finance and stuff like that. I was like, okay, these are other options I have as well. And so that year in my second year, I applied to a bunch of these consulting firms about, I think, at least 15 or something. I got one interview. And the reason for that one interview was I prepared really well on my cover letter. They had big news in the company. I'd actually found out about it and like I'd, I'd referenced it. Very lucky. I went to my interview, having never prepared for consulting-like interviews, um, like the case study practice and so on. And the interview asked me a question. And I literally just gave him a straight-up answer. Yeah, the company should do this. And he looked at me like I was joking. Like, are you serious? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, they can do this, this, and this. And they were like, and they were like, and the feedback was he had no structure. And it was true. I had no structure. I had not done that preparation. I'd not really prepared as well as I could have done. So I came out of that like, wow, like, this is really disheartening. And I'll be honest with you, that internship I applied for with chemical engineering was the first one I'd ever applied for, and I got it. So I was thinking, man, getting a job is going to be easy. I was so wrong. My first... <laughs> The first company I applied to was McKinsey, and I got like that was second year internship. I got rejected from them straight away. I literally like no no interview, nothing. I remember calling my dad and going, like, I just got rejected. He was like, and, and I was like, but, <laughs> an interview. He was like, yeah, welcome to the real world. I was like, but, uh, but but like they didn't even give me a chance. Like, yeah, get used to it. <laughs> like. Uh, it was yeah. so naive of me to think that, but this is the thing, like before mm. the world of like LinkedIn and stuff, like you really, unless you were, unless your parents could teach you these things or you had yeah. these kind of things or cousins, yeah. or how would you know about that? So mm. that's a hard way. And that, yeah, you know, did the best I could towards the end, especially. Um, but I unfortunately had a big problem that year. I messed up my back really seriously um, because all my anxiety about the job stuff and the university studying stuff and some problems in the relationship I was having, it led to me overtraining, which is what I'd always do. That was my way of compensating for what was going wrong in my life. It was my escape mechanism for life for mm. sports. And I ended up injuring my back pretty badly, such to the extent where like for six weeks straight, I just could not even put my socks on in the morning. I'd like have to do some serious stretching and stuff to do that. And I did the best I could in that final term. Went into the exams feeling like a 2-1 was in my grasp. Um, and the first exam, an hour and a half of it, I spent just looking at the curtains. Fluid dynamics and heat transfer just destroyed me. Yeah. I'd done like a mock the week before as well, like in my room, and I got like a 2-1 in it. I was like, this is good. I got this. Cambridge humbled me. Um, and the thing with chemical engineering that year is you had four exams in four days, so one each day. So if your first one, was my first one went badly, yeah, it's like that mindset. Yeah, you have a really quick bounce back, and I did. I bounced back. Um, the second one was an easy paper that I did not do well on, so I ended up getting a two-two in that paper. My third one was meant to be one of the hardest ones. I did okay in it. I scraped a two-one in it, and my fourth one was meant to be also like one which was um, which which was meant to be quite a tough one. And I got like, I think a really low 2-1 in that. Um, but my average overall, including my coursework, which was a good score, it was like a first. I ended up getting 59.8%, which was like 0.2% away from the 2-1 that I wanted and oh. needed. 
Oh man, more tears were shed. More tears were shed. Presence. <laughs> more tears were shed. Yeah. And now you are a performance specific exam yeah. success coach. What? <laughs> because because that third year was when things changed, right? I can't go and become an exam success coach if I just had two twos <laughs> kind of the <laughs> way through. Um, no, that next year was the transformative year, right? That next year was one which I went into completely shattered in confidence. Third year, I'd switched my course again to this optical manufacturing engineering, which had more essays and more business related stuff and less maths, which I thought would suit me better. Um, and I went in there and unfortunately, I was going in there kind of in a really low place. The relationship I didn't have just ended, um, which was a pretty brutal one to take. And, um, you know, and I'll be real with you, right? I'd attached a lot of my self-worth to that relationship because mm. I'd gone through like my, my childhood and stuff, my adolescence growing up thinking like, I really wasn't worthy of a girl. Like I'm not attractive. There's no way I can ever get a girl. Okay. So having had a girlfriend, yeah. I had like had so much of my sense of self-worth and attractiveness to her being mm. with me. So when she left, it just validated all of those fears I'd had from when I was a kid all over yeah. again. So I was reliving that stuff. Meanwhile, you know, having done kind of my best the year before and come up short by a small margin, no job, no internship, nothing. This wasn't going to be an easy journey. Um, I was living in the same room as I'd shared with my girlfriend as well by myself now. So all the memories are just... Oh, yeah. I lost a lot of friends because I'd neglected them in favor of the relationship. And all this stuff would have been manageable if I had my sports. But my back had flared up again. And oh, I was... So I, I was in a really low, dark place. And you know what the worst thing is I did? The worst thing I did was I fell into a victim narrative and I started telling myself this story that I have now let down and failed my family because of this. I failed them. All I needed to do was ask them and they'd have gone, no, you're being stupid. We love you. We're so proud of you. But I almost didn't want to ask them because I wanted to perpetuate the story of I failed. I'm a failure. Right? I'm a failure. I, I've, I've messed up. And I went into a really, really dark spiral where I was dropping out of Cambridge was like, I'm going to do that. I was going down more serious places in terms of where my mental well-being was going. And the one thing I did when I realized like I just could not take this anymore was um, the one thing I did right was every night I'd come back to my room, I would just cry and write poetry. So I was actually processing these emotions. You know, I always felt that it takes a lot after that experience with that girl when I was 17, I was actually takes a lot of strength to sit with those painful emotions and like sit with them and process them it's a lot easier to run away or suppress them. It's a lot easier to distract yourself and suppress them. For me, that showed me that I am strong to sit with that pain. And I kind of used that to just sit with those emotions and process them. I would go wherever my mind did not want to go. Like the deepest insecurities I had about being a terrible person, being a worthless person, being these things, I would go and sit with it. I'd imagine myself like cross-legged in a blizzard that was befetting me. And I'd have to sit there and feel that pain because that pain was my teacher. Like, and I, I took pride in the fact that I was strong enough to withstand it. I wasn't going to drink. I wasn't going to do drugs. Nothing like that. I'm strong. I'm going to take it. But then eventually it became a bit too much. And I started to spiral into that place of depression where you no longer are feeling anything. You're numbing yourself to it. And that was when I, I, I asked for help. Um, I'm lucky. My mom, she's a yoga teacher. She's a therapist. She's a, she's a meditation teacher. She's, she's incredible. Mm. And I reached out and I said to her, look, I know I've always looked down on the stuff you've tried to teach me. I know I always thought of it as woo-woo and not science and all that. Please, I need help. What I've been doing so far has not been working. Something has got to change. And Touchwood, she would talk to me for like an hour every day for that first month back 
that first month and a half back. And if it wasn't for her support and her being there, I don't know how I would have come out of that time. I don't know what lengths where I would have gone to with that. And um, I came back for I came back in that Christmas period, um, the darkest day. Like you know, it, it was it was it was pretty horrible. Like it was really really rough. Um, but what she kind of was, I guess, introducing me to was all these different teachers that I'd never thought about. And I remember there was one day where like I literally just stayed curled up in bed pretty much all day. Um, and then I don't know. There was just the sunset, and I remember just kind of stopping and just watching that sunset from my wind from my bedroom window. And just feeling this sense of like hope, I guess. And I went to the field and I just sat there cross-legged and I meditated for the first time in my life. I meditated. I didn't know what I was doing, but it just felt right. And I had this deep feeling of like change come over me. Like this is where it begins. This is where it starts. And there's no such thing as like, for me, I don't believe in overnight epiphanies. Like that, that's not something I've ever really seen happening. I believe in like you have that moment and then it's on you to nourish it. And I remember that day, the next week, I had this massive project due. I remember I went to the, like, I went to, like, our, our, like, um, manufacturing engineering, like, project room. And I hated this project so much, but I literally just stuck with it and just kept going. I worked, like, from, like, midday to, like, midnight pretty much on this. I remember that night I walked back and I walked back. And this is not something I recommend to him. I'm being quite real about this. As I was walking back, I walked along the middle of the road on, like, a pretty fast, like, 50-mile-an-hour road. And I was just like, I will either survive this or I won't. Like, I'm either going to make it or I won't. And I felt a part of me as I was walking along the middle of this road going, Cam, this isn't you. You're not meant to be here. You're meant to be on that pavement. And I said, well, if I'm moving to that pavement, if I'm moving to that pavement, that means I'm choosing to live. It means I'm choosing life. It means I'm choosing to take control of life. It means I'm choosing to take action. And I walked to that pavement and I said, that's it. All those stories you were telling yourself, they're gone. No more of that. Next day I woke up and nothing was nothing changes overnight. But yeah. it felt like, okay, I'm going to put in this work. I'm going to make this happen. And when I went back home over that Christmas, I made like I made this big plan of like what I'm going to do to get there. And I made this sheet that was like this sheet of, okay, here's what I've got to do every single day. You know, I've got to follow my study plan. I've got to do my, my workouts once my back gets better. I've got to do my stretches on my back every morning. I've got to meditate on the, on the field at night every single night, cook a healthy lunch and dinner every day. These are things I've got to do. But it's great to have that list, but if you don't want to get out of bed, how the hell are you going to follow through with it? So I had to make one more sheet, and that was my why. And I wrote on it my values, successful, peaceful, freedom, security, like legacy, gratitude health, all of these things, I wrote them and I wrote around them what these words meant to me. And so when I woke up in the morning, I wouldn't look at my to-do list. I'd look at my why. This is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm getting out of bed today. And as a result, here's what I'm going to do. Here's the actions I'm going to take to make this happen. And that, from January when I got back through to my exams in April, I didn't stick to that plan rigidly. It evolved. I kept adapting it every single day. And my, my rule with planning is you're always going to do more with a good plan than without one at all. As long as you end up doing more with it than without one at all, and you're adapting it every day to what was coming up, you'll have done more with it than without it. And I think I planned to do like maybe seven or eight past papers for each exam. I ended up doing maybe five, but that's better than the three I would have done without one at all, maybe, you know? Mm -hmm. And the whole thing with that process was I was walking everywhere. I was like, I was kind of like finding this place of like 
Zenness, you know, yeah. like I'll books by Thich Nhat Hanh, who's a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk. And he talks about walking with a half smile on your face. The mm. half smile symbolizes a response to the world around you. It says that there is everything happening around you. There is movement, there is action, there is life, there is suffering, there is joy, there's everything. The half smile says, I embrace this moment and I'm not attached to it. To me, that's what it meant to me. And mm. I'd walk around and consciously have a half smile. I remember walking thinking, I might be the only person in Cambridge right now who's actually smiling in some capacity, in a sustained way. Like, and I'm going to train myself. My action is to smile because the more I do that, the more my body builds into yeah. it. There's sort of that's what I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I like you now know? I just, I think I, yeah, I, I smile a bit too much sometimes now. But um, no. yeah, I think. There's nothing better. An authentic smile, right? It connects mm. with people, it, it reaches them. And it's, it's the action that shows yourself, I'm choosing how I'm using these muscles in my face. I'm going to move them in such a way that my, you know, my, my mind, that physiologically speaking, there's this concept called embodied cognition, mm. where it's not that, you know, our body language and our mood, it's not like um, it's a one-way street where, oh, my body language reflects my mood. No, you can actually change your mood yeah. by changing your body language. Like yeah. try to be sad when you're when you try to smile and be sad at the it same is. time. Open your arms, look up and smile. Yeah. And, and, and think negative thoughts. And yeah. you're gonna struggle with it. Yeah. Because there's a cognitive dissonance there between what your thought you're sending to your brain, but your mind's going, Hold on, hold on a second. Our body's doing these things that we've associated so much with positivity. Yeah. Therefore we must be happy, right? We must be okay. Mm. It's really interesting to like look into the neuroscience behind that as well. Um but yeah, with that journey. That next few months was a challenging few months, but it was very aligned with my why, my authentic path. And that year, I didn't get a two-one. I ended up getting a first class, and <laughs> made it happen, man. Made it happen, and I ended up getting my back better, playing in the tennis varsity match, which I was super happy with. And um, it began this journey towards like what I learned that year was that this sort of personal and professional growth mm-hmm. it changed my life. And I want to help others with it. I started doing some mentoring towards the end of that year. I found it so fulfilling. Yeah. Like I felt like I've conquered a lot of things in my life that I've wanted to. Like yeah. I got these grades, I got these sports, I've gone these things. And the most fulfillment I got that entire year was not from these achievements. It was one in the how I got there. Even if I hadn't, it was the process of like honoring my authentic way. I said to myself that yeah, I'd rather fail on my own terms than succeed on the terms of others. Because if I succeed the way others are succeeding. What it means is that perhaps I'm always going to doubt my own way. Maybe my way will never be good enough. I've always got to learn from others and do it their way. Whereas if I'm willing to fail on my own terms, it says, look, what I tried this time didn't work. Let me learn from that. Let me learn what others are doing too. But let me then make it my own and let me try again doing it my mm-hmm. way. And that was my mantra for that for that period. And it paid off. And I fell in love with this practice of mentoring and, and coaching. I went to a two-day course in the coaching academy thing a month before those exams in third year, just to scope it out and see, would I like this? And I thought, you know what? This is a very empowering model. It resonates with me. I'm not telling people what to do. It's about the questions. It's about that process of asking them questions to, for them to elicit mm-hmm. for themselves yeah. what they feel, you know? It's a really yeah. powerful framework when you're stubborn and you don't like being told what to do, which was how I was. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, since then, did my fourth year. And then that big kind of crux came, there's that, that big point came where in my fourth year, I was really like putting a lot of these things into practice in terms of, I wanted to make my fourth year my, my perfect year, whereby I was doing some coaching on the side. I was like doing like, um, you know, fitness coaching on the side. I was captaining the tennis team. I was going to enjoy my last year and I was going to mm. apply all these principles I'd figured out basically for this path. Yeah. And, um, 
then I left Cambridge and I didn't have a job. And I was like, well, do I go into coaching? I feel way too afraid to leave with an engineering degree and go into coaching. Like, who the hell does that? <laughs> who does that? Um, I felt really, really like I'd be very judged for that. I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, not that it, I just didn't feel comfortable doing it. I felt like, honestly, I didn't have the work ethic yet. Yeah. Because I'd done it my way, but maybe that wouldn't be good enough. That's what I was afraid of. Mm. And so I applied again to consulting firms. And this time around, I got an interview. I went into, I prepared now over these years of rejections that I'd had. I kept applying every internship. I just never got anything. Um, in my third year summer, I taught English at a school in China, um, which I love. But I realized I can't teach the syllabus because I'm not passionate about it. I've got yeah. to teach what I love. These yeah. kind of emotional intelligence and, and personal growth and these kind of topics. Yeah. Um, and then we're going to China um, showed me that, like, I love this nurturing the others as well. And in my fourth year summer, I went and, like, I saved some of the money from that I had from my internships and stuff and, like, the, um, the stuff I had. And I went traveling for a bit and stayed with some family in other parts of the world. And when I came back, I was like, okay, I've really got to get my stuff together now. Um, and I moved back in with my parents. I'll always say, like, with my story, I never want to glamorize this journey into entrepreneurship for me. Like, mm. I want to move back with my parents. Like, they were happy to have me in our culture. It's fairly normal to do this anyway. But, like, without their support during this time, I wouldn't yeah. have been able to build a practice from scratch doing this full time. And with consulting, yeah, I got that job and I started in that March of 2016. Um, it's not a job that I felt I could create my coaching stuff around because mm. it's, you're working nine till nine, ten each day at night. Yeah. It's not really much time around that. And then you're working some weekends too, occasionally as well. So I didn't feel it was enough to build my practice around. And then I had this one night where like I did a week of like 2.30 a.m.s and a 4 a.m. finish on a Friday. Um, we had a project mm. that just had to get done like that. And I remember getting an Uber back that night and just thinking to myself, this is incredible. I've never worked this hard in my life. If I took half of this time and put it to something I actually loved, how could I yeah. not and the next few days, I just had that, that weekend. I just had bursts of ideas on how my, what my coaching philosophy was going to be, how yeah. I was going to be doing, what I was going to create, these videos I was going to use, podcast, all these, like, kind of yeah. like. Yeah, brainstorm, crazy. just go crazy. But It goes crazy, right? Yeah. And I went back to work that next week, and I was so burnt out because, like, yeah. I, after, I just didn't want to be back in the office. Like, I was so misaligned with that. And I had to conquer this fear because I was too afraid to leave still. I look in the mirror in the morning and I hate my reflection. It got to the stage where I just feel like such a coward because I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. Mm, that's like the worst feeling. It's the worst feeling, right? And like that, our mirror, the mirror is so powerful. Like, honestly, if you look in the mirror each day and you ask yourself, hey, is my younger self proud of the person he's becoming? Yes. Does he smile back at the reflection he's seeing? Yes. Mm. Doing what you're doing. If the answer to that is no, something's got to change. Just as you can ask yourself, look, if I were to die tomorrow, if I were to die tomorrow, would I be grateful and proud for the life I've led? What regrets would I have? And for me, that links in because I left consulting. I left it like within four months of starting the job. I remember the day I handed in my notice. People were like, you know, I knew the scrutiny was going to come. I knew it was going to come. The partners at the firm, because it was quite a small London office that we were in. They were like, you know, um, really like, are you sure about this? Like kind of thing. Well, I was like, yeah, like, if I don't do this now, then when? And I've got this in mind. And one of the partners said, look, don't ever be afraid to return back to the squad. You're going to learn a lot from this experience. If you ever need to return, you're more than welcome to. So I'm very grateful to them for that. No bridges were burned. But I knew that even if I did return to the working world, 
it wouldn't be in a profession where I couldn't build this on the side because mm. I love doing this. I knew that. And so I left, um, handed in my notice, needed to use that momentum. So I got straight to work on creating like a website for myself and reaching out to people. Yeah. Um, I, I signed on for like getting my coaching qualifications, which were long ones. They were like a year and a half long ones each kind of thing. So it was a real long process for that. But I started working on that on the side as I was doing it. And then in December, I remember like I had this plan in mind of what I was going to earn and how I was going to build this. And in December, everything changed because I had this idea of like, you know what? I said in the first time I'm going to write a book. Mm. Write it now. Like, let me just write it now. Yeah. And I remember thinking about this book on, you know what? What can I, can I actually help now with this stuff? What about students and what about exams? You know? I was in consulting. I've kind of got this framework-based thinking now. What's a framework I can think of that encompasses all the parts of this journey that other students have used as well to really attain the best possible grades with a minimal amount of stress and worry mm. and anxiety? And you know what? Writing that book was not a hard thing to do mm. because I kept asking myself that question. It genuinely felt like if I were to die tomorrow and this wasn't out in the world, I would deeply mm. regret it because I had something to mm. say that I think could help yeah. and I wasn't doing it. And I, I just used yeah. I just used that, and like very naturally, each day I'd just go and I'd sit for like eight hours and write. <laughs> you know, mm. I'd read, I'd write. I, you know, the aim of this book for me was that I want it to be scientific as well. I want it to have genuine studies backing up the kind of insights in this. Mm. And that book became. I originally self-published it as the Eight Principles of Exam Domination. Um, it had eight principles. We had the time management side, so procrastination, productivity, planning, and prioritization. It has the study tools and techniques. So this is how you apply it to your study. So here are the proven strategies for learning. Here's the proven strategies for how to make the most of revision notes and exam papers and self-testing and interview practice and all these kind of things. Then the most important section to me, the mind management section, I gave all these different tools on like how to create motivation, how to overcome stress and anxiety, um, how to build your self-confidence and, and like, you know, these kind of things like that. And then and how to overcome pressure from parents, from your peers, from social media, whatever it was. And then the on-day performance. How do you bring these things together so you can perform on the day? What's the performance mindset in this? Night before, morning of the exam, during the exam, and afterwards, how do you respond? And then I brought this together with this lifestyle component of this, the four other four, four lifestyle principles, physical activity and movement, and how they've been correlated with exam success. There was a study that came out of Cambridge University recently, right? where it actually said that um, like they looked at 4,000 undergraduates between 2006 and 2015, and they found that students who played sport at a university level, right? So playing six times, this is between four to six times a week they're training, mm -hmm. right? They were able to like, they were able to get 5% more likely of getting a first class and 10% yeah. likely to get a 2-1. And mm. the reasons for this were okay, around- I'm gonna join a society with, I don't know, something. And the reason for this, they're like saying, well, partly it's because you have this community outside of the academic bubble. So yeah. stress in that way, you've got this great community. The other part is that the physical effects of exercise in terms of the hormones and neurotransmitters it produces, in terms yeah. of everything from dopamine, endorphins, serotonin, um, through to like brain-derived neurotrophic factor and all these different things that exercise induces in our body biochemically. There are studies mm -hmm. that actually show that even like 20 minutes of movement before an exam increases activity in the basal ganglia region of the brain, which is like, which helps with coordinating thoughts and actions. And like, people perform better in exams, like after doing tw like 20 minutes after doing like physical movement than those who didn't. So there's so many little studies, they, they look at it with like increased correlation of an increased size of your hippocampus. 
So like your short-term memory storage is your hippocampus. It increases through doing exercise. So there are so many like parts about how useful physical activity movement is. And if in Cambridge, you're seeing these students who have these incredibly rigorous schedules mm. and they're performing better. Another yeah. part of time management you need as well. Like you ingrain time management into your into your schedule because you've got to have that element to be honoring what you love yeah. I did sport, as well as the commitment you have to your academics. And then there's the nutrition hydration part, six principles, nutrition hydration, how fueling our body, how, how important that is. And then we have the sleep side of things. Um, so crucial. The first thing so many of us compromise, right? I've been getting like four hours of sleep today. It's not because not the why we sleep by Matthew Walker and you'll be scared uh, into sleeping. Um, really? Yeah. Oh man. Like I having read that, like in terms of knowing how like your deep sleep and your REM sleep and how the cycles happen at night in terms of the balance between those two and how it shifts over the period of a night mm. and how important they are to learning and memory. Like mm-hmm. if you if you sleep in essence like less than seven and a half hours having spent a day learning you're basically meaning that your brain is just not going to be as receptive to it as someone who had slept eight hours and got on full full rough sleep cycles it's basically like invalidating mm. your learning if you're doing that kind of thing you're putting yourself at this disadvantage that's a I very extreme to, way of putting it. Yeah. i think i need to buy like 10 books and just like give it to a few friends <laughs> who might need it as well uh, yeah um yes, i mean yeah. it's it really does make a difference. Mm. Sleep, it matters. It matters. Um, and the final part is support groups. Because mm. without like, people around you, right? We all know that you are the people you surround yourself with. You, know, yeah. fact, you were saying something about as well, like, you know, uplifting and inspiring people, right? Like, it, yeah, I, I feel like, a yeah, it's just, yeah, especially recently, I've been surrounding myself with, like, I've never really felt like I was in a group before, but, like, it's, Mm. now that is the first time that I've really felt like I have a group of friends who are genuinely like me and just very like-minded and just yeah all about just personal development and going like there's no crazy dream that's unrealistic and just like you know working together towards and just believing in each other and supporting each other no matter what happens Um, yeah I think it's very important and like if you do have that type of friends then like don't yeah like don't lose contact with them. <laughs> Don't, yeah. Like, mm. honestly, it's like, um, they say, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yeah. Um, and That's it's why I created not- Swag, by the way, guys. Swag is a... Wait, can I can I say something? <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. Please do. I'm interested. <laughs> oh, so, okay. This is like a the first time I'm in, what do you call it? Mid-advert, mid-podcast advert. So, um, yeah, I created the Swag community. Starts with Action Gang. Uh, which is a discord server and it's basically everyone listening or like interested in it starts with action and the concept of you know taking action and not and overcoming fear and you know dealing with failure rejection or all all the stuff where you kind of you know it's hard to deal with alone um, and we kind of deal with it together um, through discord and chatting oh and also every month I which is the next one is going to be on the 31st um, so soon um, I would do like a monthly group call with everyone who's interested in the community in the discord um, and kind of it will become a podcast um, as well because I'm going to record it and then kind of put it as a swag series under the it's also action episode so yep that's um, something so if you want to join the community then I will link a discord link to yeah join sorry uh, plug in <laughs> there's no sorry there. Guys, if you're listening to this, you're no presence anyway. She's amazing. Yes. What are you doing? Join the community. 
<laughs> Surround yourself with people like presence. Seriously, if you're looking to like improve in whatever area of your life, like look at her energy, it's infectious. Get involved, like swag all the way. <laughs> yep, swag. swag all the way. Cool. And if you've got yeah. personal statements coming up, she's created this incredible personal statement oh. course as well. Now I get to plug your stuff because it's awesome. <laughs> like genuinely, you've created these incredible resources. You are living what you preach. You are living it wasn't what you I would say like it wasn't like personal statement courses more so that like, I wish I had it, but it wasn't my genuine like passion, like yeah. interest in like help like doing like uni application stuff. But I did it because I wanted to overcome like the first thing I did was a like, personal statement webinar. And I only did it because I wanted to number one, I wish I had this knowledge. Number two is like I want to do something to overcome like the fear of mm. kind of reaching out and putting myself out there. And it was because of taking action towards the things that I wasn't super passionate about, but like, you know, something yeah. small, unrelated to what I want to do that led me to here. Um, so when people think about like, just not knowing what they want to do, which is a topic from last, the last podcast with Ola Sani, it's just like take action towards things that maybe it's, it's not your thing, but eventually it will kind of, you'll find something because you took that first action. That's probably like, would you, I don't know, like, would you, yeah, like if you didn't go to the internship or something, you would know it's not for you kind of thing. So this is like, without a doubt, one of the things that I've experienced the most, right? You learn what you want to do by doing things you don't want to do. Because each mm -hmm. time you do something that you don't like, it forces you to ask this question. So what do I really want? I think a lot of us, we're so afraid of essentially doing something or committing something and then quitting because we're yeah. so afraid of how we're going to look. And I felt that with consulting, right? When I was leaving, I knew that I was going to come on a scrutiny. There's going to be people saying that, oh, he couldn't cut it. He couldn't make it here, you know, or what's he doing? He's kind of like, you know, he's having a bit of a breakdown, whatever it is to leave this. I knew that was going to happen. And so we're so afraid to quit because the costs of quitting, emotionally speaking, are often very high. Mm, but honestly, but actually it's not. And if you look more long-term, the cost of not quitting is far higher, right? That's true. And for me, I've genuinely found that like, I think like the biggest thing is that it's okay to say this direction is not for me. Yeah. I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna go yeah. somewhere else, I'm gonna try somewhere else. The difference between for me, it's like, you can quit on any job you want, but don't quit it on yourself, right? Don't give up on yourself, mm. right? Quit the job, quit that thing if it's not serving you, but have a direction you wanna then move in as well. You know, yeah. it's one thing to kind of leave and, take the next few months just doing nothing but playing FIFA all day kind of thing like that. Now, by all means, there might be some time you need to recover and to replenish, right? Like you might need that time if it's been really intense and draining. And that's so, so fine. But the biggest thing I'll say is you've got to be self-aware enough to check in with yourself, right? You've got to be self-aware enough because when that guilt starts setting in that maybe I should be doing more, just be gentle with yourself first of all, no judgment, compassion towards yourself and start asking yourself these questions, those hard questions we try to avoid yeah what do I really want what do I really want what are my values here what and even if you don't figure that out at least then as you said do something because it's through that process and I think the best reason for doing things oftentimes like with your personal statement course I love that you said that it wasn't necessarily like your passion thing but what it represented was you taking action towards something meaningful for you in terms of conquering the sphere and what would have worked for me for me I have this thing where on Instagram I post a quote or a video alternating daily and I started this habit three and a bit years ago, right? Yeah. And for me, here's the thing, right? The algorithm changes, your engagement changes, didn't pick up crazy traction or anything like that. Mm. For me, it became about the habit. 
Yeah. It's like that every day there is a small action I'm committing to. And here's the thing with these posts that I'd make, I'd write really long captions, like literally a blog post in each caption, mm. the character limit for each one. And what that did was it built this muscle I had, this muscle for writing and like summarizing these ideas in a way that for me was easy to communicate. So it means that now hopefully I can communicate some of these ideas with so much greater ease because I've been putting in the reps each yeah. day. I love the kind of an like analogy with muscles and gym and training when it comes to these things because it really is building a muscle. If you do mm. it for a week and expect to be strong, that's not going to happen. If you do yeah. it for a month and make progress and then stop completely, it's going to regress. It's going to atrophy. It mm. requires that steady and consistent action. And I would 100% trade. You know, if I was someone who has extremes, extreme action and extreme kind of like lows and exhaustion mm. and rest and then extreme action, extreme rest, I would much rather pick the person who is steady, steady and builds that muscle steadily so that they can increase their tolerance for taking more and more action, mm. right? Yeah. I'd happily take them over that person who has these extremes because it's that reliability, it's that muscle they're training, that consistency habit. Um, mm. So I'm a huge advocate for that. And the reason why now I've been doing this for four years as a coach and speaker, and I've experienced a lot of challenges, you know, in terms mm. of like financially, like how do you go and reach this level that you want to get to in terms of, okay, I published this book, Eight Principles of Exam Domination. No one bought it. Self-published, no one bought it. Then a year, and then I created some workshops based around it. Managed to get one at a school, which was great. Then I tried to do this like by myself, um, privately. No one came. No one came. And I had to sit there at this appointment and feeling like this is never going to work out. And then I, I, this company, UD Admissions, picked up the book and said, we want to publish this. And I said, amazing. And they did. But it hasn't made much sales. But then the opportunity came up mm. for them turn that into like um, a video course, an online video course called the Exam Success Academy online program. And that's been resonating with a lot more people, you know? So yeah. it's like the journey is so full of these ups and downs, but what I think has kept me in love with what I'm doing, which isn't exams, by the way, it's helping people. Like yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. I can hopefully help people. I don't want to be doing this for the next you know, 10 years of my life, help you with exams. What it is, though, is that exams are something that we all face as teenagers and stuff. Yeah. And it's something that causes a lot of stress that it doesn't need to. Here's these amazing tools that you can use for the rest of your life in the context of exams. And yeah. that was enough to make me passionate about putting everything I had into making this happen, making this a thing. And, um, you know, like, touch with the impact it's having, the reviews. Now the book has got more people reading it as well and everything. Um, the Exam Success Academy course, I've got it rolling out in some yeah. schools collaborating with like it does make an impact and yeah and think it was never about the exams you know mm. that's where the, my story can jump into it and all this content can be related to it but what it was really about was about being people opportunity right mm. to conquer these parts themselves they're going to hold them back and you know you see it all the time like you see people who when they're in school and stuff they work to deadlines you don't do yeah. anything deadline comes to a huge amount of work yeah. then you crash at the end of it yeah. The thing. And I saw that in Cambridge as well. People are still doing that kind of thing. When you mm. enter the world of work now, whether it's your own thing or whether it's working for someone else, that's not sustainable anymore. Yeah. You can't because there's deadlines all the time. And either you're in a perpetually stressed state, which means you're going to burn out and crash, or you just don't know how to manage your energy and you don't put in a lot of effort into anything, essentially. And what you ideally want to create is this really sustainable way of building up your consistency muscle, building up your muscle for performing at a high level each day. And it's yeah. what's me doing this. It's like four years now, and I'm more in love with it now than I ever have been because mm -hmm. I've not gone to any extremes. 
Yeah. I can count on my one hand the number of times I've had to work past like two in the morning, you know, that I had to, like, as in it wasn't because I planned it poorly, like that I just had so much to do. It's not been many times at all. And that's the way to me it should be. Like, I'm not a fan of, I'm not a fan of hustle culture. I think intelligently hustling is crucial, but I'm not a fan of mm. hustling in, with no direction at all. Mm. Um, general and burning yourself up because you feel you should be doing more i think mm. a lot of us attach as well our self-worth to our sense to our productivity mm. you know yeah and we think like the more productive we are well, the more worthy we are the more good a person we are and it's a mm. very slippery slope to go down on um like you know? for, me, for me i'm kind of i am i'm not i'm not like i'm not against hustling i think it's there's two types where you work you can work for like 20 hours but you it doesn't feel like 20 hours because you're in you're in this flow and you enjoy it so much mm. if that's if that's the kind of grind and hustle then i would i would encourage it but uh, yeah that's just my yeah. thought so, um, i don't yeah. know man honestly like i've seen so many people who have done that and they just they end up crashing yeah, like they're not burning out and crashing and it, i think it's yeah it's important to i guess like remember like i think like for me it's like i try my best and if i enjoy it i can work for hours and then if i do crash then i just remember okay i crashed i'm gonna take a break but i'm not gonna give up um i'm gonna like slowly get back I into think, it i think as long as you so, know for yourself yeah. right what your values are in a yeah. moment in time and if that's what resonates with you i'll just say this like a lot of our behaviors that we have they serve us mm. until like you know, they won't save us they won't saved us but they may no longer serve us so like mm. things which, you know, right now it benefits you to do this and you should keep doing it. But if at any point you find that it is holding you back, don't hold on to it because it's the only way you know to succeed. Yeah, that's true. Don't hold on to it. These are what I call performance dead ends. Mm. They get us this far and it's awesome, but then they're not going to take us any further than that. And mm. for us to transcend that and reach the next level, it's a dead end, which means we've got to go back first. We've got to backtrack and yeah. then find a different path to get there. But so yeah. many of us are afraid of that backtracking, that dropping yeah. And yeah. so we stick to these really harmful habits that are now no longer serving us. Mm. Um, so I'll just say, like, super cool, like, embrace that hustle if that's what works and that's what resonates with you. But I'll say this, it doesn't have to resonate with everyone. Like, I, for me, the hustle culture does not resonate. Um, mm. Partly because of, again, maybe my um, background more in terms of Buddhist philosophy and mm -hmm. the more kind of Zen approach. Yeah. That I like. It, for me, going for a walk in nature and reconnecting with that, gives me more fulfillment and joy mm. than anything and if my day does not have that in it then i'm not living in line with my own values i do i walk every single day because it's like just go out walk and it's just like no that just like stare at the stare at grass and then yeah. uh, it's just it's yeah it's very i don't know i feel very yeah calm and peaceful and like happy when i just you know, yeah. walk and just like look at the trees and like i don't know it's a weird feeling like, I, I can just be really on to work but then when i go on walks i'm like all into nature and just it feels it feels very yeah calming in this i recommend it's, walks to everyone <laughs> it's so so good right like i'm so glad you found that in your life yeah. because honestly i think a lot of us we, we lose track of that. And there are so many benefits to it, right? Like mm. just from the fact that you're moving, that's beneficial. Um, from the fact that your focus is shifting, it allows ideas to kind of percolate and, and infiltrate your mind. And then 
turn into new ideas, you know? Um, I think they call it the default mode network in your brain. It activates when we're doing very low level activity, you know? So we're not, our, our attention resources are on something. It's like taking a shower or being on a toilet, you get these ideas because you're not fully focused on those ideas. You just kind How, of- I was thinking action burrito. <laughs> if so, action I, was like, burrito. I was like thinking so hard about what name, what name, what name, and all these like just weird names came out. And then like, I think I just, you know, just like, yeah, whatever. It's, it's going to come somewhere. And I think it's just a really random situation just like came down. So like sometimes yeah. just the most creative and like the good idea comes when you're like, yeah, not focusing on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, every single idea I've had. So the, the eight principles for my exam book, came when I was on an evening walk after a really bad day where I was being very doubtful. And I just thought, I'm just going to look at the stars tonight. Literally mm -hmm. came to me then. Um, I have this program for professionals called the Own It Coaching Program, which has these eight um, components as well, seven components and then a final section. How it all linked together came to me in the shower. Like mm -hmm. this image kind of linking it all together came to me when I was in the shower. Um, the shower's the a great place, right? Don't want to waste time, <laughs> but like, it's a great place. Um, and then the mentoring program that I launched a few months ago, that as well came about when I was on a walk, kind of like worried yeah. about, lockdown. you know, like I was worried about lockdown. And I was kind of like, damn, like, how's this affecting me and all the goals I had? And like, I feel like I've been, you know, it's been, you know, I've been hard done by because like I had this set the exam success academy, but there's no point when there's no exams kind of thing. It really put a halt into my plans. And I said, you know what, though, like, let's just go and just like de-stress a little bit. And then the yeah. idea came to me, like, let's just change things up. So um, a lot of things come together, which are floating around in our minds when we kind of mm. do this. And I think nature is an incredible teacher as well. Like I can watch blades of grass moving in the wind and it's very appropriate. When the wind flows, yeah. they, don't, they, don't, they don't fight it. They don't push back against it. They go with it and they trust in their strong roots to be able to then return back to their equilibrium. Mm. You know, we've got to have that same resilience as well. And yeah. stop trying to resist because if you notice what's really rigid and firm when it resists, it will resist and resist and resist until it breaks. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're able to flow with it, you can always return back. So I think that's a really, um, there's actually a really beautiful Taoist um, kind of proverb in, in the Tao Te Ching, which talks about how like rigidity and firmness and hardness are the companions of death. Like when you look at like at the dead bark of a tree, it's rigid and it's firm. And it's harsh, it's hard. Whereas softness and suppleness and gentleness are the companions of life, like a shoot coming out of the earth. It's soft, it's supple, it's gentle. It's what growth represents. And so having a bit more softness in our lives and that gentleness is so much more important because it's in essence, what makes us most rigid is fear. Mm -hmm. When we're afraid is when we try to control things and we become yeah. rigid, we become set and we become adamant about certain things. And we try and stick even further into the ideals that we have because we're in that throes of that fear. Whereas if we're in that state of perhaps love or peace or gratitude or joy, there's a lot more openness, there's spaciousness, there's expansiveness that we can move into with our ideas, you know? And it's a real different wavelength to be operating on. Yeah, I think like for me, walks, like walks help me kind of, yeah, analyze the fear. Like I think of what's happening in my life and the fears that are kind of in the way. And then just like kind of, yeah, just, walks are just a great way to like self-reflect and realize that okay that I have this fear what's the worst thing that's going to happen and keep going into it while you're like enjoying the nature and then realizing everything's going to be okay whatever happens it's going to be okay exactly anything that gives you that perspective is is yeah. so so important right like um again perspective is one of the things that's very easy to lose track of um mm -hmm. get caught up in the throes of what we're doing 
And I know for me, like I said, the night sky is a beautiful reminder. Um, impermanence as a concept which we learn about again in Buddhism, um, it's always that humble reminder, like, you know, that it, our time here is not, it's not, it's not that long. So um, we want to make the most of everything. There's a beautiful quote by this rapper called Odyssey that I love um, in one of his, uh, in one of his raps called Own Appeal, where he says, I live every moment like it's my last, but I plan for tomorrow as if I will never pass. Ooh, I love that. I like that. I love that, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you've got to have in your day living for that moment and being super grateful for it, being present with it, while also honoring your future self, who yeah. in all probability is likely to still exist. So you want to build those foundations. And then here's the thing, you can almost create joy in your present by each step you're taking towards the future. You can make it so meaningful, you can even find joy in it right now. You know, building mm -hmm. the foundations upon which you're going to build your castle, your empire, whatever it is, can in itself become a joyful process. Because whether or not that castle actually gets built or whether it takes the form you envisioned it, it doesn't matter. The joy it's is in the building. Yeah. The joy is in the exactly. building, right? The joy is in the journey, not the destination. Yeah all been echoed before right it's the climb of the mountain not the peak of the mountain that makes all the difference and you have to uh, be happy now in the present stay in the present so just like yeah like if you're not happy now then how do you expect to be like happy in the future in terms of like expecting happiness right. in the future and you're not happy now is just yeah well they say one of the biggest problems is that we don't we have not trained our muscle of how to be happy right mm -hmm. it's like you're not happy now so you go when i get this thing then i'm going to be happy and you get there and you're still not mm -hmm. happy yeah. The reason is because, and then you think, well, I've got to get this next thing because then surely that will make me happy. The problem yeah. isn't the thing you're getting, it's that you don't know how to be happy, mm. right? I think a lot of us are kind of afraid as well with the hustle culture. We're afraid of, yeah, but if we're ever satisfied or we're content, it means we're not driven mm. anymore. It means we don't want to work. It means we don't want to take action because we're yeah. going to be too content to do that. I, I, I challenge that on every level. Like for me, I see far more action when you give yourself positive feedback loops and you feel joyful and yeah. curious about what you're doing and it's more sustainable as well than when you're yeah. constantly trying to kind of like bludgeon yourself into yeah it's the grind it's the grind make it happen come on like come on keep going others are working harder than you right now yeah. like to me it, that can get you going and I used to be motivated by very external things when I was a kid when it came yeah. to things like I want to get a six-pack or stuff like that it doesn't last whereas when it comes internally from this place of curiosity I want to explore what I'm capable of yeah. I want to see just how much I can do here. Like it comes to the space of joyfulness and learning. Yeah. You can sustain that indefinitely. Yeah. And it's um it's so powerful. And to cultivate that must of how to be happy in the present. Because honestly, the more grateful you are for what you have, the more grateful you can be for what you're gonna get as well. It doesn't mean yeah. it stops now and you're you're now you're done for the rest of your life. No, like life is a process of curiosity and learning, you know. If you're the kind of person who gets excited by things in life, it won't just stop when you're magically content. You know, if anything, there'll be more things that are going to get you excited and interested. Yeah, I think like because kind of my what I do for like podcasts is like, I'm just curious what's like how how this can go, like how yeah. what would it be like if I keep going for like a year, a few years, just just curious what's going to happen. Like not exactly worried about like I have a vision, but at the same time. You know, I'm just gonna just gonna have fun and see where it goes because it's just it's just like kind of looking back at what's happened to me and just where I am now is just I didn't expect it and it's just I was just yeah let's just see how it goes and here I am now so I don't know what's gonna happen in a few years like you know COVID just massively exactly. and just can't can't just be so rigid about you know just you know. exactly and the more we can train ourselves to be able to accept the things that we cannot control. 
yeah. the better off we can because you know for me i look at it as just like a, a bandwidth issue right like in terms of your mind if you're so focused and stressing and expending energy on all the things you can't control like students worrying about results and stuff which you can't do anything to change feasibly in this moment all the energy being spent expended on that train of thinking on that worry is energy you could otherwise be utilizing taking action on something that matters to you in the present moment yeah. so for me, the, the quicker you're able to adapt to a situation, you know, COVID hit me and it, uh, not, not the illness, like it hit my business stuff. It hit what I was doing and it frustrated me because it meant that the plans I created in January were now kind of a bit invalidated, yeah. but I was proud of myself and I could give myself a pat on the back for how within the month I'd responded in a really positive way. And I found this, I created this new opportunity and I was able to make the most of it. And new things came from that, that I hadn't thought about before. And so for me, I don't look at that as the, the, the joy in it was the, s- the successful outcome. It was just the fact that my resilience and my adaptability has reached a level now where I can bounce back from these kind of things. Yeah. And, um, you know, we all start at like a fairly low level with that. But the more we encounter these things, the more we teach ourselves to kind of, okay, let's accept this. This is happening. This goal needs to be changed. This expectation needs to be removed. This is no longer valid. It's disappointing, but it's no longer going to happen in this way that we imagined it. What can we do around that? Because if we're too rigid, as you said, if we're too stuck to that one thing, you yeah. know, it's like essentially like what they say about missing the forest for the trees, right? It's like mm, yeah. tunnel vision is, it's good to get a task done, but I actually describe it's like swimming to an island. Mm. So let's say you want to swim to an island, right? Um, you know, there, there are ways to do this. Some people, what they do is they just put their head in the water and they just swim and swim and swim and swim. They don't even look up. They just swim and swim and swim. Well, here's the problem with that. Either one, they just keep swimming until they drown yeah. because they don't have many breaths. Yeah. Or they exhaust themselves swimming and they just can't swim anymore. Or when they finally come up for air, they go, hold on. I'm mm. so far away from that island I was meant to go to because the current yeah. is so adrift, right? Now, then the other one that people do is they take one stroke and they look up. Am I going in the right direction? Yeah, I am. Okay, one more, and they can't. That's not going to get you anywhere. You're mm. essentially paralyzed by overanalysis, right? Making sure the time. And so the balance we've got to find is ability to put our head down and swim for a couple of strokes, you know, and then to come up and check again. Am I going in the right direction still? Yes, good. Is that island still there? Yes, good. Do I still want to go there or do I want to go to that other one? And you make a decision. So mm. there's this balance between that action and that vision, right? Yeah. The action, but without that vision... Yeah, there's that quote, right? Yeah. Action without vision is a nightmare. Vision without action is a daydream. Right? Oh. There's got to be some action. So many that. quotes, this one. I love I love this podcast. It's all about quotes. <laughs> I love it, man. It's, it's, that's, yeah. that's the years of the Instagram work of exposing to <laughs> I try to deconstruct and say, okay, well, here's this cheesy quote. Here's what it can actually mean for us. Because I think mm. a lot of us get frustrated at how cheesy these quotes are because they don't give us a how-to on how to apply it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's individual. It's got to be individual. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, I, I didn't like really check the time, so I had no yeah, idea. Actually, we, we went quite a bit over time. Um, yeah. so I have, and usually at the end of the podcast, I ask every guest a challenge that they would give to listeners to take action on. Um, what Ooh. challenge would you have for everyone today listening? Oh man, I um, that would have been great to know beforehand. I could have come up with something that would actually be helpful. Um, Oops, sorry. <laughs> No, I'm joking, I'm joking. It, it's all good. Um, that's a great question in the present moment. Let's see, let's see. So a challenge I could give them with regards to taking action? Mm-hmm. Or like with what, regards to... Just like a challenge that they can take action on. Or anything about action, really. A challenge that they can take action on. Hmm. 
Ah, just one is tough. Let's see. In the th- let's see in the theme of what we've been talking about. So I'm going to make an assumption here, and say that because of the people you speak to on this podcast, we're super action driven. There have been a lot of challenges around one thing that you fear. Take a step towards it today, kind of thing. That kind of thing, right? I'm going to set a different challenge. I'm going to say that I challenge everyone listening to this to give themselves ten minutes each day to sit still and notice what comes up. Because action is also a mask for running away from ourselves, right? It's a form of self-aversion. It can become a form of self-aversion. So my challenge is this. Sit still for 10 to 15 minutes a day and do it as impartially as you can. No judgment on what comes up. The harder you find it, the more you need it. There's this old, like, kind of a Buddhist proverb idea that, you know, um, meditate for 20 minutes every day. If you don't have time, meditate for an hour. It's like you need it because you need it more. Yeah. You're so caught up in your own self-obsession and your self-thinking and your worries and your fears and your anxieties about yourself and the world around you. Yeah. Right? Ten minutes a day, fifteen minutes a day. Just sit and notice what happens. Notice what comes up. Notice what comes up and write it down. Process it. You know, process it. Um and and but just don't run away from it so much. I think that is one of those powerful forms of action that we can ever take in our lives is to stop running away from ourselves. Um, mm. you know, it's so, so important to do that because those are the things that we're gonna, are going to catch up to us eventually anyway. Why not address mm. them now? You know, there's this quote that I love. The more we sweat in peace, the less we bleed in war. Don't wait for those hard times to come and then try and be ready for it. Build yeah. this habit now in a time of peace, in a time when you have the flexibility to make it happen. Because it's going to pay off later, you know. Um, it's that whole idea of the Instagram post. I didn't need to do it then. So now, when yeah. I need those habits in place for, you know, each day I need to do this task. I built that muscle, you know. Mm. Um, I really, really kind of em- emphasize that that it's um, it's a powerful thing to to sit still and just notice what comes up and make some notes on it, process it. You know, writing these things down is the most powerful thing you can do. If you're internalizing all these problems, they're just going to go around in circles. You want to externalize it. Um, and yeah, like if you're more interested in learning about tools on managing anxiety, managing stress, journaling frameworks, um, motiv- creating this motivation to take action and mindfulness practice, things like that, um, the Exam Success Academy program has like everything there that you could ever need. I know you're signed up for it and yep, stuff. Yeah, I've like, been looking at it. So I signed up, I have it, and I recommend it 100%. It's um there's there's a, there's there's a lot of stuff there that you can make the most of and it's yeah. what I think what I hope is that you know we talked about these kind of things like you know sleep and rest and all these things it gives you like an introduction to all of these things in yeah. the context how they can help so if you're really curious you can then go and learn about sleep and physical activity and nutrition more in your own time but it gives yeah. you the bare essentials that you need as to how it will help you let's say on your academic journey and then yeah that's um for me like sitting still is the action to take like it is. That one of the hardest actions. I know for me in the morning, I wake mm. up and I do 10 minutes of sitting still. Hardest thing I can do because my mind is already like, got to go. But yeah. if I'm getting into it, I'm not in control of my own mind. I'm yeah. enslaved by my own mind. And actually telling my mind, hold on, we're going to sit still and just be present. Focus on our breath a little bit. You know, notice what comes up as I breathe, how it feels in my body today. It's an incredibly powerful thing to be doing. Um, there is a reason why the majority of incredibly successful people in this world do take time in their day to meditate, to reflect, yeah. to go on mindful walks, to do these kind of activities. 
um, it's it's a key part of success for sustained success. Mm-hmm. Um, so it all starts with action, and sometimes action does look like sitting still. Sometimes, <laughs> not, all time, yeah. not all the time, but sometimes it does. <laughs> yeah, so everyone today's action is to not really act. Just ten minutes. For 10 to 15 minutes. Do everything you want outside of that. Go crazy hard to make up yeah. for it if you want to. But 10, 15 minutes, just notice what comes up and notice what you're trying to run away from. And also notice what you're running towards. The more clarity you have about that as well, the more amazing that is. Use that. Write it down and use it as your fuel. Like be super clear about that. Yeah, 100%. Like clarity is just clarity. Yeah. Still you know, we cannot see our reflection in running water. It's only in stillness, still waters that we can see clearly. It's an old Taoist mm-hmm. proverb. And again, it's decided actually it's in stillness when we get that clarity when the mud the dust and the mud settles you can actually see the water for what it is mm. so allow yourself to do that yeah. well thank you so much cam for coming i i'm sorry that it overrun um oh, but I, pleasure. I, yeah, thank I, really you for I went a long time about my stories i hope by this anyone listening that it has been helpful i assume that some of you guys were in the year 12, 13 or university journey. And I, I hope the experiences did did um did help in some way to sort of recount that for you guys. If not, I'm I apologize. I deeply apologize for, for going on and on. If it didn't help you with uh like school stuff, I think it helped you with relationships in terms of, you know, don't like I think, yeah, don't be so in like uh, I because this is a topic that I've been talking with other people recently in like relationships just once we're in a relationship, we kind of our happiness depends on other people like we depend on them so like you know yeah. it's all on you like you should focus on yourself like just yeah anyway i'm not going to talk about that but because uh, it's going long but anyway yeah so i'm more sure. about that in the future um yeah. i'm more about that with you in the future i'm open for that topic because i think young people like uh, yeah I, I like that <laughs> i'm open to that, doing that topic in terms of just like loving yourself before you love anyone else but anyway that's i, I, I will add them that final note the final note a final action perhaps for anyone who wants right a lot of us, we put our self-love as a conditional thing. Like our self-love mm-hmm. is conditional on, yeah. on like, if we're doing these things. If I'm taking these actions, I can love myself. If I'm doing these things each day, I can love myself. If I don't do them or if I give in to these temptations, I don't love myself anymore. And you become yeah. angry at yourself and you berate yourself. Guys, how can you ever love someone else unconditionally if you cannot even love yourself unconditionally? Like yeah. honestly and truly, Work to detach your self-love from these conditions. You can say to yourself these ideas around, you know, instead of saying kind of said, when I do this thing, then I can love myself or I love myself more when I do these things. Say, start with, you know what? I love myself. And because I love myself, I'm going to take this action. Because I love myself, I'm not going to take this action. You know, it's the same thing that says, I love myself so much. And because of that, I'm going to stick to my diet today because I love myself. I want to nourish my body. Yeah. I love myself and because of that, no, I'm going to enjoy this chocolate bar guilt-free yeah. because I love myself as well. And when you're coming from that place, you can identify more what feels right for you and what doesn't feel right in that moment. Yeah. But start with that place of self-love. Cultivate that from, it's your starting point. It's already there. We were born into this world, not with that, we're not, we were, didn't come into this world with conditions attached to how we can love ourselves. It is something that we're yeah. conditioned and we looked on the people around us and we learned it from them that they self-berate. They berate themselves for these things and they speak to themselves in a negative way. These are learned behaviors. They're not authentic to us as human beings. Yeah. So from that place of love, the more you can love yourself, the more you're able to love others unconditionally as well. And the more you can detach your sense of self-love, happiness, self-worth, whatever it is from 
how others are responding to you. So I hope that's been helpful. No, it's been very helpful. And yeah, everyone check out Cam on LinkedIn, Instagram. I'll link all the description and check out his success, uh, Exam Success Academy. And if you're in year 12, um, good luck with university applications. Good luck. In year 13, good luck with results day. Um, I'd love to talk to you about it on day. And um, yeah, and join SWAG. Join the community. Join on SWAG. Join um, SWAG. And so thank you yeah. so much, Cam. And yeah, everyone, so thank well. you for listening. Yeah. And yeah. Just one um, thing, if, if anyone has any questions based on stuff I've said, like please do reach out. Like I love receiving emails from you guys. I love receiving um said messages on LinkedIn, Instagram, wherever it is. If you have any questions, feel free to ask me. I'm so happy to help um as best I can. And presence, thank you so much for having me. You're a wonderful, thank you. wonderful host. Thank you for allowing me to talk about my experience and my stories. Thank um, you. Like it's just it's just so crazy how I was interested in like personal development coaching, but I've, I've never ever talked to like a coach or like a mentor before. It wasn't until year 12 uni admissions on Oxford, Oxford so the, the day you talk, came to talk. I was like, huh, this is like kind of very interesting. And like what I want to do, like school never talked anything about this topic and stuff. I'm like, oh, I need to keep in contact. And like year yeah. 13, near year, the end of year 13 now. So I think it's probably been a year, maybe, I guess. I see. Yeah. <laughs> quite long but um yeah so it's and now you're my mentor so i'm so yeah i'm really grateful for that a joy a joy to have your presence um you're gonna succeed in whatever you do genuinely <laughs> and it all starts with action. Action. so yeah see you guys i hope everyone enjoyed the episode if you know anyone who would benefit from listening to this then please share it with them and if you liked it please give a review on apple Podcasts. would really appreciate it trying to grow this baby and join the swag community if you want to because it's awesome and at the end if you are waiting for results good luck i believe in you you know i'm with you i don't know what's going to happen but whatever happens it's going to be good i made a video on how i'm planning for results day on my youtube if you want to go and check out it's us on youtube and for year 12s please don't overstress Applying to uni is stressful, balancing it with A-levels is stressful, but I believe you can do it. And if you ever need any support, trust me, I was a really, really stressful year 12 kid. And I, yeah, I don't want anyone to feel the same as I did. So I'm always here to support year 12s because I know how it feels. So yeah, until next time, guys.